0: Mr. Mark Selby, how are we, sir? Very good, Mr. Matthew Gordon.
1: I am glad to hear it. You look like you're out and about. Where are you? I am in Timmins,
0: up at uh, up at the, just south of the project site. So we've got our monthly
1: team get-together. So we're here, up here for the week. Fantastic. Fantastic. And what w- what do you do in these get-togethers? What do you talk about? What's the, how's it work?
0: Our, our team is spread out across Eastern Canada, so... Uh, so to bring everybody together to get, you know, sort of that little bit of cross fertilization, um, you know, we, we, we have everybody in and we go through all the, the different functions that are going on, obviously between exploration, permitting, you know, uh, engineering, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot going on and it's, and it's, and we've got a great team and it's, it's nice just to hang out as a team as well and get to get spend that bonding time that, you know, again, in the older days, you actually all were in one office and, and that's the way it was done, but, uh today uh you know we it's good we we've got a great team and whether they live in new brunswick or quebec or ontario
1: or southern ontario um it all all works out pretty well good it's good to get together yeah i know what you mean um you you are obviously going through quite a busy period i'm hoping to get updates from you guys mr Garcia, everything that's going on in the back racks and there's a lot of admin happening out there but first we are going to talk today for the folks listening in watching this, reading about this, the world of world of nickel and what what's happening. So let's start with the price because we are going to get into the company news. There's some really interesting things happening out there. But first, what's happening to the nickel price?
0: Yeah. So up until yesterday, um, we were back down to the bottom end of the twenty to twenty-two thousand dollar a ton range, or nine to ten dollars a pound for the non-metric people. Uh, that we've been in literally all summer since the beginning of May. Um, we hit it back down to the twenty thousand level. The entire base metal complex, zinc, copper. Everything we had some Chinese deflation news out that's that's caused some of the bulls uh, to retreat a little bit, um, and then today uh, we actually broke through my long-awaited call that I have said would happen since the beginning of the year. We've finally broken through twenty thousand dollars a ton, and and again I you know wouldn't be surprised to see us spend a month or so down here. Uh, if it had happened earlier, I think we could have spent longer down here. But there's a few reasons why I think. You know, again, you know, I've always seen a demand strike coming
1: through at the end of the year, and, and don't see any change in in that happening. I was about to say you mentioned sort of China, de- you know, de- deflation concerns, but actually, it's not all dim and gloom out of China. It's actually some good news. Well, so again, for people who've been
0: watching the, the, these um, our discussions, you know, I've been very frustrated with analyst forecasts in, in terms of demand, and particularly around stainless steel forecasts. Stainless steel is a very, you know, high demand product that's grown at five to six percent a year. It's going to continue to grow at five to six percent a year, not because one country or another country is growing faster or, or industrializing. It's because stainless steel is a high strength to weight material, which again as about all about saving energy is is very important. It's also one of the most recycled materials. Uh, that's out there. Also, something people are very concerned about. So again, it's stealing share from the carbon steel markets. It's only three percent of the total steel market. So there's lots of room to grow. So despite the doom and gloom about China, despite the gloom and doom about you know the, the global economy, uh, the, the Chinese uh, global, uh, uh, China, the Iron and Steel Association put out their uh, production stats for the first half of the year. And stainless steel in total is up eight percent year over year. In nickel-containing 300 series stainless steels uh, are up um, up over 11. percent Now we've seen some decline in the, in in the rest of the world this year as as again you know we we've seen economies slow, but if all of this stuff is happening with China, if all of this stuff is happening with the global economy, and we still see this kind of growth in stainless steel, why won't we see? At least five to six percent demand growth because we are getting to the top of the interest rate rises. You know, interest rate cuts are going to come. Uh, you know, again, and, and the economy is going to start to reaccelerate. So, as I said many times, most analyst forecasts are far too low. You know, and it's these kinds of stats. You know, that should really underpin. You know, th- th- this kind of thesis that you know they are really under undercounting how much demand is coming.
1: Right. Okay. So so China's hard at it. Um, that, that's, that's, I guess, good news in terms of um, price. Um, are there any other kind of factors uh, or any other kind of momentum plays out there which uh, we need to be aware of or conscious of? So the, the other piece that's happening right now, we're still not seeing, we saw a nice little
0: surge in uh, pickup from the in, in the nickel sulfate market for batteries in China in the spring, um, but we haven't really seen too much follow through uh, at this point in time. Again, I think part of it is we're seeing more of that production shift over to Korea um, as, again, U.S. and Western automakers are picking up the the, the increase in, in EV demands, uh, demand growth going forward and the fact that you're seeing a lot more integrated production. So before, people used to take an intermediate, make sulfate, ship that sulfate to a precursor maker, who then turned it into... A cathode. now that precursor is just using that mat or MHP directly and doesn't go through that intermediate uh, sulfate step. so it's making making it a little more challenging to see exactly you know where the market is. again, you know we came off some massive destocking through the first half of the year because lithium prices tank so much. but you know now with lithium prices stabilized, you know again expect to see uh, you know demand from the ternary batteries uh, sector for EVs you know pick up as we move through the remainder of the year and heading
1: into 2024 right okay there we go there's the market news folks and there's a bit i want to talk about because um we we can talk about a few companies now but i think one group who perhaps um weren't expecting their their week to look like this was um fbx nickel good ceo good company but they had a bit of news which um tore their stock down 30 well by third uh, almost overnight. So, what was happening there?
0: Yeah, it's it's tough. I I know I know the CEO personally. I've known the company for a long time. You know, FBX Nichols. You know, great team, great project. You know, very thoughtful, thorough approach to advancing the project. But you know, again, underscoring the risk around permitting in First Nations, one of the key communities. Um, you know, whose whose area that the project sits in, basically said the MOU that we signed in 2012, we're not, you know, we basically unsigned uh, that MOU and we're not going to continue discussions with you, uh, you know, for their foreseeable uh, future around with concerns expressed around resource development uh, in general. Uh, you know, again, you know, this is something you know, just want to underscore. You can have, you could be flawless in terms of your approach. You can be flawless, you know, with your personal relationships that are there, you know, in terms of First Nations communities, they have elections every two to three years. You may have had a great relationship with two or three different chiefs over, you know, a five to 10 year period. And all of a sudden you get a new chief in and be supported by, you know, one portion of the community that may not be in favor of, of resource development. And then all of a sudden you find yourself halted. Now, again, one thing to keep in mind is that these, these you know, these elections do happen every two or three years. So even though you may, you know, you may, have a have a, a leader in there who's not necessarily pro resource development. It doesn't mean by the time the next election comes along that you might find somebody else um, that comes in. Or again, you you just you spend the time and help educate them that you know mining today is not the mining of the nineteen sixties, the seventies. You know which left you know you know horrible environmental scars all over the landscape. You know in a bunch of different communities uh, going forward. You know I dealt with that firsthand. You know with the Dumont project that we had. My past life uh, at RNC, you know, where we literally had five different chiefs over a ten-year period that I was involved with with the project, and, and uh, we never got to the point where someone was anti-development, but there were definitely more or less pro-development as we went through, and, and each one provided its own set of challenges. You know, we we talk about a lot of things here in terms of for investors to do your homework and check, and I cannot cannot underscore enough when you look at a project. Don't just look at the country. Assume every Canada is a great jurisdiction and everything in Canada is great. Don't just look at the province and say, oh, Ontario is a good jurisdiction. Everything in Ontario is great. You know, the situation where we are in Timmins can be very different than the situation in northwest Ontario. It can be very different. The ring of fire can be different than in, in southern Ontario somewhere. You need to look at the specific area where the project is. Have there been mines in that area? Are there mines operating there today? Have there been mines in the past? You know, what do local communities say about mining and resource development? That should take you no more than 15 or 20 minutes. And again, that doesn't mean, you know, if if there's never been in a mine area, that doesn't mean that, you know, somebody can't get something developed. It just increases the risk if if there's negative comments about mining from the local community, If if... If, they, if they're not experienced with it at all, the chances are given sort of the, if you Google mining today, you're going to get lots of more negative stuff than positive stuff. And so um, it's just something that takes a little bit of homework, but, you know, you really educate yourself on the risk a, a, around a certain project, you know, and you can save yourself, you know, a lot of grief if, if a project, you know, hit, you know, hits a wall, you know, at
1: some point in the future. Let, 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 so let's let's talk, and I don't want to talk specifically about FPX here, but I do want to talk, you know, generally about how things like FPX are, uh, have, have, you know, are facing now. Is First Nations are clearly that that's the kind of social license component, um, if you if you want to sort of use corporate language, but it's the reality is it's. How you get on with the folks on the ground in, in where you are going to be mining, where you are going to be putting your operations and have trucks driving up and down, you know, you know, quiet roads. Um, and, and how you get get on with get on with those builds, really, really important. We, you know, we had the, lots of conversations over the you kind know, of COVID period about ESG and you know, people for it, against it, understood it, didn't understand it. Um it, let's put this in cold cold hard um language here for people. If the First Nations do not engage with a mining group in their district, is that mining company gonna be able to get their um, operations back up and would, are they gonna be able to operate first of all? And are they gonna be able to build a mine?
0: No, no. In in, in a number of countries, if they if if those local communities say no, then your project, you know well, you know, 99.5%, you know, will not advance. So that's what, you know, where again, that you, you have to do everything. Or hold you, at best on holds, right? Holds. Yeah. Yeah. And again, right now in this situation, you know, it may, uh, you know, again, it, they're a great team. It's a good project. Um, you know, they, they can just have to spend more time educating that, you know, the com- community members who are holding sway and, and and hopefully, you know, get get it back on track. But you know it's it's now a, a chunk of time and a chunk of effort that they probably
1: were counting on six months ago so absolutely like and like i said this is not an fpx conversation. this is this is something something there is it's a conversation i want to have about generally you know how this works because again we still got people coming on from outside you know from previously you know tech only or industrial only retail only who perhaps don't understand the, the nuances of you know, what First Nations mean in terms context of getting permissions permits licenses and the ability to actually get a project in into mining right um so we're saying generally First Nations say no you are not moving that forward you are going to have to do some work about getting them on board if you can and that's 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 going to take time and therefore money simple as that right okay cool 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 we better um can you, just just in terms of um are there i mean there's lots of mining companies that talk about you know the need for involving first nations and getting them, getting them on board and uh, understanding it and involved and being part of it and you know creation of jobs and you know financial benefits of, of that of, of that project but there are parts of of canada which obviously don't have you know our own I mean, the land isn't necessarily owned by First Nations because you know how, how, how does it work over there? in the U.S., you can have all sorts of different types of land with different titles and ownership structures. What, what are there? What what's it like in Canada?
0: Yeah, so so generally, there's there's two two types of from a First Nations perspective. There's ceded and unceded territories. So there's parts of the the country that that treaties were signed with the local communities at that time you know, to basically agree on, you know, how resource development or development or ownership or whatever, you know, could be done. You know, the reality is, is even in those places where there's, you know, there's treaties in place, you know, again, you'd have, you know, Canada or before Canada, you know, the English crown negotiating, you know, with First Nations groups, you know, who, you know, who may not, you know, 150 years ago, 100 years ago, you know, really understand sort of the 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 overall broader implications of what there. So, you know, in unceded territories, you basically you know it, we have you know in in Toronto, it's 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 the city of Toronto is on land that um you know is 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 the territory of of the local communities there. Parts of this downtown Vancouver, you know, are are, are on territory that was not ceded by different communities, and even those ones with treaty, you know, effectively. You know the the reality and and the right thing is the fact that it's you know you're on their territory you know and you need to you know work in a way that, that a recognizes that right from the start and then b you know work in a way that makes it mutually beneficial for everybody involved you know for your project to go forward and then on that basis and, and again we're lucky where we are here in Timmins you know with that approach you know w- you know we we've been very successful but again I've had you know the the, the people the communities I work with here who told me some horror stories not from like 15 years ago, but from two years ago, you know, that there are still some dinosaurs in the mining industry who, you know, haven't really woken up to that reality yet.
1: Right. Interesting. Interesting. And obviously, you, you've been involved with a your few projects yourself, there, but they seem to have been in areas where there's sort a of well established mining companies and infrastructures and towns and, you know, in, in employees and, you know all all that kind of sec- secondary um, wealth that, that that mining can create. Those where it's kind of embedded into the, the the local community financially and I guess mentally and emotionally, it's going to be a little bit easier. I suspect. Is that right? Well, for sure. I mean, mining
0: mining is a risky business in so many dimensions, and and if you're able to basically say, okay, I'm going to you know eliminate or greatly reduce one set of variables. You know, the, the, the assets I've been involved in, whether it was, you know, the Raglan Project, West Raglan, that's now part of Orford Mining that we picked up with RNC, or the Dumont Project in Quebec, Crawford and the Old Timmins Nickel District here, or the Beta Hunt Mine at, just outside Kalgoorlie, um, and that Reed Copper Mine just outside Snow Lake, Manitoba. They're exactly, you know, those kinds of communities, you know, they understand mining, uh, they the, the benefits, you know, and, and the impacts that are there. They, you know, they understand, uh, you know, you know, the, the opportunities from an employment perspective, you've got, you know, supplier bases that know that can help get something done very quickly. You're not bringing somebody in from 500 miles away to have them get set up to, you know, deliver whatever service you need. They're just down the street, you know, and that just makes everything cheaper, faster, you know, and ultimately more valuable in terms of those operations that you're able to develop.
1: Right. Okay. Well, like I say, there's a lot to, um, Lots of unpackaged there. We you know, we wish you know, um FPX um, well with, you know, the process that they're gonna they're gonna go through in the next few weeks. Um, let's let's talk about um the metals company. You know, we I we have spoken to them a few few times and it's kind of it's kind of as we say over here, marmite, you kind of either love it or you or you hate it, or you believe it, or you, you don't. But they've been taking some big strides recently. Um, what are you making of that? Yeah, I, th- I think we talked, um,
0: and if we didn't, I'd meant to back in early June after I was at that conference you know in Indonesia um and so you know I think one thing that's been a significant help there is uh they're they're now partnered with some Japanese companies that are basically running you know what use plants that still produce a little bit of nickel but but not much the same sort of road rotary kiln electric furnace plants you see in Indonesia and you can utilize that that set of equipment to process those nodules into this you know sort of into some very usable and upgradable products on that point in time. So it basically takes one of the risks out of, you know, before they were talking about building a big, you know, multi-billion dollar processing plant. Um, and so now if you're able to leverage some existing, you know, existing infrastructure, you know, that that obviously, you know, it reduces the cost of entry pretty significantly. And so, you know, the stock since early June has, has moved up, um, you know, um, um, pr- pretty nicely and then has an, had another leg up um, over the past few weeks, where they basically said, Look, we're going to apply. There's, you know, the, there were supposed to be final decisions on how things could be exploited. Those, again, the, the, the entities that are responsible for coming up that punted the ball down the field a little bit longer. But the metals company said, Look, we're going to apply for a license in 2024, you know, and we could start mining by 2025. Again, using this, this, this existing infrastructure to process it. So, uh, off the back of that, they've raised $27 million. Um, so, Again, having momentum towards production and cash flow is 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 always helpful, you know. So so we'll see how that goes. You know, it's still a big question mark about pulling nodules several thousand meters off the bottom and getting it, you know, getting it delivered to land somewhere. We we'll have to see what that actually is going to cost. But you know, it's again, we need we need we need all the metals, um, and it'll be interesting to see you know how this unfolds, um, you know, over the coming months here. For for for, for sure.
1: I mean, they, they've they've had quite quite the ride their stock has had quite the ride um you know as as, as news yeah as people people just get excited and then digest it and then you know need to kind of work work it out it's, it's been a sort of bit of a roller coaster for them so i intrigued to see where it goes for the rest of this uh year um but yeah good good, good news um Mining, and, and jason he's been on with us recently what's the news from them yeah. So some pretty nifty drill
0: holes this week. Um, 3% nickel plus some PGMs and copper over 30 meters and a second hole with 4% nickel and, and copper and PGMs over, over 28 meters from their, what they're calling the 101 foot wall zone. Um, again, very nice to see. Uh, they put out a PEA on this deposit a few weeks ago. Um, this, these, these results and some other recent results around that are not part of that PEA. So, you know, this is some additional cream, you know, on top of, uh, uh, the cake uh, with with regard to this deposit. Um, just one thing, I just, I just want to use these results to highlight to to investors. Um, you know, the key thing here is you know, these these are were effectively infill. Now that they, they widened out, what was they thought was there fairly significantly, but you know, you the, they did have a drill hole in twenty, you know, set of drill holes in twenty twenty two, and these see, see, seem like they're sitting in between them. And then those holes and these holes are, were sitting within a couple historical intersections from drilling that had been done, you know, by a previous previous operator. So again, you know, with high-grade stuff, you do need to infill it to a, a relatively high density. But, you know, the, the key thing here you should always look at, you know, when you see drill results is, you know, are they expanding the resource? Are they stepping out, you know, a long strike or a depth? where they just kind of, you know, going back into places where they are and, and the only benefit really is making it thicker, you know, than it was before. So again, good, good to see those results up, but just a little bit of an asterisk in terms of, you know, the, the total overall value,
1: uh, you know, to, to the project, uh, going forward. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think we have, we, we should link to the discussion we had about that several weeks ago on on, on the topic of being brave. With your step-ass uh, and really adding value or, or perhaps looking a little being a little bit in, inward looking. Um, right. And two more to go, Widgie Nickel, a um, little bit of news from them. It's, 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 it's T- tell us the news and we'll, we'll chat about it. Well, just before we get to Widgie, um just want to sort of the
0: other end of the step-out spectrum is our neighbors up in Timmins, Aston minerals uh, put out some results uh, just the last few days. Uh, where, again, they, they put out a 2.5 million ton contained nickel resource. Uh, they're drilling in an area that's about 2 kilometers away from where the resource is. And these, these, you know, three holes that they've drilled so far have extended from what was originally drilled about 500 meters, you know, a long strike. Again, when you've got a great geophysical model in the nature of these deposits is you can really be very productive. You know, again, it's, it's some very similar deposit to Crawford. Uh, so again, good to see, you know, some success, uh, you know, with, with these kinds of deposit, with the same kind of template that we've been using with Crawford and the other 20 properties we have, you know, it's great to see Asin, you know, hitting, hitting some, you know, very, very similar and successful holes. There's no assays back on yet. They're just reporting the amount of mineralization that's there. You know, I, I know from our perspective, we've got a pretty good, you know, can visually estimate the grades, you know, pretty well. So I think these will be some, some decent holes that, uh they'll be they'll be happy with so you know good good to see and again the bid the bit you know again people always criticize you know lo- lower grade material but again in the right structure like the ones that we have like aston has you can add a huge amount of nickel tonnage um you know without spending a lot of shareholder capital to get there so and that's ultimately what miners want to mine is actually metal tons so not great
1: good point okay so magna infill aston minerals stepping stepping out being brave okay um we'll have a look at that um then back to uh sorry Widgie Nickel sorry tell us tell us about what they've been doing so so we've seen a number of companies sort of you know highlight their their lithium
0: uh, opportunity as well as the nickel opportunity and, and again over the last 12 months that's been pretty successful Widgie Nickel is 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 actually you know the I think would say probably the far enough far farest along with those. Is they actually have a deposit that they're gonna they've applied to get the permit to start mining and they can ship it to one of the local lithium processing mills in the area. So you know again, good to see um, those guys unlock value uh, on those properties. Um, and then the other one is Azure Minerals, which you know 18 months ago was a nickel explorer that had made some nice discoveries in the Pilbara region up in northwest uh, area of Western Australia, um, and they they've actually found some. Much better lithium deposits. And so they announced that they turned down a six hundred million dollar offer um from SQM. Um so um uh, again, good to see some success, whichever way you need
1: to get there. So um and uh Well do, do you know what, what there's zero minerals is gonna do for the market is confuse everyone because um even before the nickel lithium lithium now, we remember and nickel before that, before that they were in Mexico failing miserably. And the only segue like last year, right? So that it's very confusing. <laughs> so it says to you, like, if you don't succeed, try, try, try again. uh Can work. Invariably, in mining, it doesn't. But here's a case where it absolutely has knocked it out of the park. It was as high as two ninety um, recently. I think back down to more most two fifty. But when we started talking to them, twenty cents. So uh, a fairy tale story indeed. Well, well well done good. No, seriously good good on them you know um so good, good it comes back to a good team um obviously they've got the kind of crazy group involved there but um Tony Revi- Rivera is a solid team with a good track record and, and that counts for a lot um well there we go mark there's a little run run through thank you very much for your time um this this week uh get over with your team um get together your team meetings um